0: Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations.
1: Come down, moving too fast.
0: Support for this podcast and the following messages come from our friends at the Paul Mueller Company and Hopsteiner. Please thank them. This podcast wouldn't be possible without their generous support.
1: Paul Mueller Company has been manufacturing quality brewing equipment since 1964. Our innovative design and engineering will save you time, labor, and ingredients, sending money back to your bottom line. Learn more about our new mobile hop module at paulmueller.com. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. I I, I think it's a big opportunity if you're a craft brewer to sort of differentiate yourself from uh, the rest of the herd a little bit.
0: This week on the show, bottle conditioning. We've got a ton of great resources for you at the end of this episode, but first, here's a guy who's been bottle conditioning since before some of you were born.
1: So I'm Eric Warner, and I'm the founding brewmaster at Carbock Brewing Company in Houston, Texas. Eric, how
0: and why did you first get into bottle conditioning?
1: So really, it all goes back to my roots of my early brewery training, which I was lucky enough to have had in South uh, Germany, specifically the you know Munich area of Bavaria, where they drank a lot of ice beer. And uh, I actually interned uh, before going to Vine Stefan at a brewery that did bottle conditioned ice beer. Is pretty much back in the late '80s every. Brewery did, and you know I lived over in Germany for four years at that time. Got some exposure to Belgian beers as well, and of course there was a lot of bottle conditioning going on with those beers. So it it, it was a really integral part of my early brewery training.
0: There's a lot of different ways to skin the bottle conditioning cat. Run us through some of the more popular methods, and tell us about your preferred approach.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's uh, a, a couple, you know, a, a few sort of parameter areas you have to consider. And, um, you know, I think, first of all, you have to say, am I going to try to do the, uh, I guess we'll call it the timing method. And, uh, y- you know, we, we're all, uh, most of us are adults and have children and, and maybe have had, uh, children as a result of that method failing so i i sort of apply the same approach uh to um uh you know package conditioning and in, in, in trying to time it to leave this little bit of you know residual sugar in the beer and i'm going to package it right away and even if you say like especially with an ale okay well i'm going to crash cool it now and that'll sort of uh, leave some sugar in there. I think that's really, uh, you know, the yeast don't like that. And that can lead to, you know, more off flavors than, than good flavors. So I'm not a big proponent of the timing method. Um, and so then you get to, okay, I'm either going to add sugar, uh, sort of um, a, a sugar source at the point of packaging, or uh, I'm going to recondition in a tank um, and and then sort of package that carbonated product. But a, a true bottle conditioning, of course, the refermentation is occurring in the bottle. Then we get to the sugar source itself, right? And are you using uh, uh, sugar or are you using wort? So in Germany, what they typically uh, traditionally have done is they actually use wort um, from a uh, brew that um, they are they may be doing that day. And so they've got a conditioned tank of uh, vice beer and it's been cold conditioned. And, you know, they're like, okay, we're brewing another batch of wheat beer this day. Let's go ahead and pull off some work from that, add it into uh, that uh, aged beer, put that in some kind of mixing tank or, or some other way of homogenizing that. And then they'll go ahead and, and package it a little bit, you know, cumbersome for, for a lot of kind of barely apparent obvious reasons. So the simplest way obviously is to add sugar because you know that sugar is basically going to be 100% fermentable. You have a known mass uh, that you can add to your known volume of beer and the math becomes very easy to calculate how much CO2 to would be uh, generated from the refermentation. So, sugar is, you know, in most parts of the world outside of Bavaria, of, of uh, the, the most common method. And of course, that's what all of us who are homebrewers uh, did and, and still do. So, uh, sugar is, is a good way to go, especially if you're just kind of getting into this and, and not really. Um, uh, don't have a lot of experience with with package conditioning, so so that kind of addresses the whole um, you know source of sugar aspect. Then there's the whole you know type of yeast. Now, a lot of times, folks that uh, bottle condition a, p- a particularly higher ABV beers might actually use a different yeast than what they used uh, for the primary fermentation, and of course, you want to add healthy. Vigorous yeast, again, especially if it's uh, a higher uh, ABV uh, product. Um, You know, I think there's obviously another fundamental consideration is, you know, to what degree am I going to pre clarify uh, my beer? And uh, the yeast, the refermentation in the bottle, of course, is going to generate a little bit of extra haze because you're going to. Have some additional yeast cells produced in the re-fermentation. So, you know, what condition do you really want your, um, your 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 beer to be in before you add the sugar source and the additional yeast? And and I recommend adding additional yeast anyway, uh, unless for some reason you are right at the tail end of a fermentation and you're going to um you, you know package condition and, and get this this mixture of sugar and your beer into the container right away because if if the beer has been conditioning for a week or two you know that yeast is uh not only gone dormant but it it may be really uh past its prime not healthy and you might have some problems with the the refermentation so i always uh, uh recommend uh adding uh, fresh yeast, no matter what yeast you're going to use. You hear some folks talk about using lager yeast exclusively for bottle conditioning. What are your thoughts on that? Love it um, for a few reasons. One, lager yeast tend to be, uh, well, well the, the obvious is they're going to function in any kind of range of temperature So uh, if you're not fortunate enough, and, and you're just making a for, you're just making a foray into package conditioning, um, but you don't have, have like a really highly sophisticated conditioning room or conditioning box, um, the lager yeast will re ferment, uh, you know, at a wide range of temperatures. Uh, lager yeast typically also tend to flocculate pretty well, so uh if if you really want that yeast to kind of pack out in the bottle and not have a lot sort of floating in suspension um that's uh an, another good reason and most commercially you know available lager yeasts are are going to be sort of a little more benign in their flavor contribution uh versus if you you know were to take something that wasn't uh a a you know a beer that wasn't brewed with a yeast that produces a lot of phenolic compounds, uh, but then you add some kind of yeast that does do that, then, you know, you're really going to dramatically change the uh, flavor and aroma profile of the beer. So the lager yeast tend to be uh, pretty clean. So those are, you know, some of the the main reasons. And and I've also found that the lager yeasts, um, all things being equal, tend to be a little more stable when it comes to a uh, I, I find some ale strains, uh, you, you're going to get uh, uh, flavors, off flavors related to yeast breakdown uh, a little more quickly than you would with a lager yeast. So those are, I think, a few of the key advantages.
0: In addition to the methods you've mentioned so far, there's another approach to bottle conditioning that's described in a very popular article written by Bill Pengelly in 1997. That article documented the shoots process for bottle conditioning with high Croizen work. What are your thoughts on that process?
1: Yeah, great, great, great point. In fact, um, we're we're big lovers of Kruisen, uh here. Well, basically every brewery I've ever worked at as a means to um, get a beer across the finish line, particularly a high ABV beer. Uh, we i'm i'm a huge believer um both in terms of getting the flavor and and the uh rdf that you're looking for out of your beer but also in terms of shelf stability and you know not having over carbonated product in the market that you get your your beer completely um you know fermented and so we'll croisen uh, we have some problem children in in fermentation we'll we'll croisen to get those those uh, kids uh in in the into a full state of fermentation but yeah it, it's there are actually wheat beer producers in germany that will use the croisen method to add uh carbonation and you know the advantage one of the huge advantages of that is that you have vigorously fermenting uh, uh beer and so you know that you're not gonna have a stuck um you know, re-fermentation in the bottle. Um, again, the distinction there, of course, between ale and lager fermentations. You know, if you're taking ale craisin and you add it to a super cold beer, uh, that may shock it down, and/or you are conditioning the bottles in an area that uh, you know isn't low room temperature and above, then you know, forget everything I just said. Um, but yeah, I, I think Kroizen a good way to go. But again, you got to time it all up. And with an ale, that can become pretty tricky. So that's why a lot of times the German breweries will use lager Kroizen because lagers, you know, they might be clicking along at, um, you know, a degree or maybe max two degrees Play-Doh per day. So you kind of have a good idea of how much fermentable sugar is, is left Uh, in, in that beer. Coming up. And I think if there's one, you know, key thing to have burned into your brain when bottle conditioning, it's homogenization.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewer's Calendar. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets May 10th. Need to build a food safety program for your brewery? Not sure what's required by law? Registered for the Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points course May 10th in Philly. District Philly meets at the New Yards Brewery the following day, May 11th. District Northwest meets in beautiful Hood River the weekend of May 18th. And District Rocky Mountain holds its Technical Summit in Fort Collins May 19th. Registration is now open for the ASBC MBAA Brewing Summit, which takes place in San Diego this August. Register at mbaa.com, where you can also view the full calendar of events for more details or find a district meeting near you. Back to the show. Some less experienced brewers might view bottle conditioning as a license to not control oxygen pickup in their process, but that really shouldn't be the case, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, as, as, as uh, w- most of us know, a lot of us know, you know, oxidation um, can occur immediately, especially if. It, if higher levels of oxygen are, uh, introduced. Um, so you're going to get enough oxygen just from a normal filling process, uh, for a successful re-fermentation. Um, I think even, you know, uh, the little bit of, of oxygen that, that, uh, you're still going to have in the headspace is, is enough to, um, to get the the fermentation off to a good start, but certainly, uh, you know, you, you don't have to be as concerned about oxygen uptake at packaging as you do with, with your other projects. But yeah, by no means is this l- a license to, uh, be sloppy and, and feel like, okay, I, I need to get all this extra oxygen in. So I'm gonna, you know, uh, when I mix, if, if I'm, if I'm doing this with a tank, as most guys will, where they're going to mix in their priming sugar, wort, whatever, with the beer in a tank, homogenize that good, that doesn't mean, you know, hey, I, I, I want to be as, as violent with this process as, as possible. You still want to observe good brewing practice, and you'll get, you'll get plenty of the oxygen in. Uh, don't, don't worry about that. How do you go about troubleshooting when bottle
0: conditioning doesn't go as expected?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question because, you know, sometimes you, 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 again, we've all kind of done this, um, you know, as homebrewers. And we've all, you know, had fails where either, you know, the beer is highly overcarbonated and, um, you know, bottle caps are, you know, just think of the Breaking Bad episode, right, with the uh, Schrader Brow. Uh, or you know the other scenario where you know after a month you know there's nothing. Um, I, I think you know the 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 most basic thing that I think people can overlook um, is to just make sure you're doing a gravity check all along the way uh, and and so uh, make sure you know a what the RDF of the base beer is, so good free simple lab. Process You know, we do with every batch is we're always doing the forced attenuations uh, in the lab to make sure we we know where the the beer is going to finish. Check that against what the real uh, uh, beer is at, because, you know, usually it'll it'll finish, uh, you know, maybe a a tenth of a or two tenths of a point uh, above that. Um, And if for some reason you have a beer that say. You know 0.5 or even one play doh uh, above the uh, XTF, then you need to factor that into your math calculation when you're adding your sugar. But anyway, you want to know w- the product you're putting into the package, you know, what um, uh, fermentation potential that may still have left. And then, of course, after you add your priming sugar, you want to do a gravity check then to see uh you know what that combined mixture is and if you know the degree the, the concentration of that uh priming sugar so obviously you want to take a gravity check of that in and of itself uh but then that combined mixture uh you should validate your math so if if your math said hey i needed to add you know uh 10 liters of of this uh priming sugar to a you know uh to a, a, a 2 hectoliter batch or something um you should s- the 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 math would tell you the combined mixture should be at this gravity so if you're not at that you need to go back and check like hey hey did i homogenize this thoroughly did i add the right amount of sugar um you know, the nice thing about sugar, of course, is, um, especially if you start doing this at any kind of scale, is you, you're going to have empty bags there, right? It's like milling. You know, I, I always tell guys uh, save all your bags, your grain bags, till the end of your mill in. Uh, count them up afterwards. That way you can validate, hey, I know I put in this much grain. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, you can, if you do have a problem on the under fermentation side of the, bottle conditioning you know you can check your bottles and you can see like oh my i'm still a, a point you, you know th- this has only moved you know two tenths of a play where i would have expected it to move you know 1.2 degrees Plato. uh why is this stalled out now <laughs> about the only variable you're going to be able to control at that point is temperature Um, If for some reason you don't have enough yeast in or the the yeast wasn't healthy, you know, it's pretty unlikely you're going to go through, you know, hundreds or thousands of cases of beer and open them all up and redose. So, you you know, that that one you might have to write off. But um, so checking temperature in your conditioning area is really important. And, you know, this is the old rule of thumb. For any of us who've done any draft system work, right, you can see in a in a cooler, in a bar, uh, they may have a wall-mounted thermometer. Well, if the cooling fan is blowing right on that thermometer, it's going to give uh, a false reading, perhaps, as to what the true temperature in that cooler is. So same thing. Um, you want to know what the temperature of your conditioning space is, and the best way to validate that is super simple, you just take a thermometer, you put it in a glass of water, um, and that's going to give you the true sort of uh, ongoing temperature of that space and, and do that in a few spots, right? Put one uh, at, you know, ground level or just above and then put one, uh, you know, up, up high in the rafters of, of your building because you're going to be uh, pretty surprised to, to, to see what the difference in temperature uh, is so those are really the the simplest, easy ways to make sure uh, if if everything else is is good like you're positive uh, you know you got the right amount of sugar in and you know your temperature is right, then you know unfortunately the last option might be you didn't add enough yeast or you've got a yeast uh, health issue so I certainly recommend that. When you're just starting to play around with uh, bottle conditioning, make sure you have more yeast than less yeast in there and, and dial the yeast. If, if you want all the benefits of a bottle conditioned beer, but you don't want something that's real hazy, uh, you can you you know, kind of dial back the yeast dosing rate a little bit over time. It sounds like you've been bottle conditioning for a
0: long time. How has your bottle conditioning process changed over the years?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it's more on just learning, um, like I say, kind of all the angles to check to make sure that. So it used to be as simple as you know, all right, mix up the sugar, throw it in, and and go. And and now it's more on the QA side of it. And and again, I think if there's one. You know, key thing to have burned into your brain when bottle conditioning, it's homogenization. So homogenization of mixture, homogenization of temperature uh, during during conditioning. And so, um, really, over time, I've taken more care to make sure that I'm measuring both of those things. That you know, I know I've got a good homogenous. Um, you know, uh, beer, wort, yeast mixture, and, uh, that I've got good homogenous temperature conditions for, um, the, the re-fermentation. Um, and, and yeah, the other thing we haven't even talked about, of course, here is micro. Um, and, and that's, you know, a big, uh, area where I've, I've, improve the game as well i mean at tabernash way back in the days i mean we definitely had some batches from time to time that uh the lac- <clears throat> lacto uh would would go crazy and we couldn't really um you know figure it out but over time you know you start implementing more uh rigorous uh, biological controls at all stages uh, of the process and you can uh really narrow down I- your control points where the, the problem comes up. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's really the, kind of where over time I've, I've, I've learned and minimized the amount of mistakes. Do you do any keg conditioning? Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, you can, you know, obviously with keg conditioning, um, the, the challenge there is you sort of have to forget what I was saying about the higher CO2 levels. Uh, particularly if you are not going to have um, some kind of compensator faucet at the uh, tap. And of course, if you're getting your beer out into broader distribution and you're not doing self-distribution, that's that's not something you can really uh, bank on. But there are sp- special faucets you can uh, uh, purchase that will allow you to dispense higher carbonated beer without uh, uh, having um, a lot of uh, beer loss at at the spends but otherwise the the process is is pretty pretty similar. Um, you know, again, something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, the keg, uh, you've got this huge thermal mass of of product that's that's sitting in there uh, that's going to take longer to a to your conditioning space um, area. So, uh, again, that's why I always kind of recommend, you know, don't don't totally cold condition uh, your base beer um, down to some temperature, you know, like 40 or even even 50. Try to keep keep it on the warmer side, unless, of course, you want to do something sophisticated, like run that product through a heat exchanger on the way to packaging uh, to, to warm it back up. Uh, a lot of breweries will will do that because there's definitely benefits of cold conditioning uh, the the base beer before you um, go go to uh, package it.
0: That was Eric Warner here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about bottle conditioning, here are three great resources you should check out. Type bottle conditioning into the search bar at mbaa.com. The first result is a webinar presented by today's guest. The third result is a link to the article I mentioned earlier in which Bill Pengelly describes the Deschutes' original process for bottle conditioning. After you've absorbed all the other great search results from the Master Brewers website, head over to community.mbaa.com and type bottle conditioning into that search bar check the box to refine results by the mash and you'll find a video i filmed of the bottle conditioning panel with the commons Deschutes, cascade and freem during the 2016 master brewers district northwest spring meeting there's so much to learn start your search now and let master brewers help you make better beer
1: should told you maybe two that you should have three things
0: that i should have
1: and get stuck I can't be losing too much